Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, chapter by chapter, out loud. And today we are joined by our guest, Pastor Thomas Eckstein from Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota, to take a look at together 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's uh, hard to believe, but we're already approaching the halfway point of this book, and uh, yeah, we're kind of really getting into the thick of it, aren't we, brother? <laughs> Good morning. How are you doing? Doing well. In fact, when I was looking at this, I, boy, we should take about 10 programs to deal with this chapter. <laughs> oh, I know, right? Yeah, there's a yeah. lot here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've felt that way about every chapter of First Corinthians, and it, I just feel that I just feel that way more and more, uh, and I probably will for the rest of the whole letter. Because when we get to First Corinthians fifteen, it's like, okay, guys, we're just taking the next month. <laughs> yeah, that's right, exactly. Like, oh man, um, but yeah, I mean, a, a lot, a lot of stuff to to chew on. So clearly, we're we're not going to be able to talk about. Um, all of it, but you know, it's it's one of these things where I, I suppose if if you just looked at the heading um, that you might find in the ESV or the NIV, or the ESV has you know food offered to idols. You're like, all right, we can skip skip that chapter. There's nothing to talk about here. Um, and honestly, I cannot tell you how many times I've referenced this chapter in the last six oh. to twelve months. Um, oh. All, oh, all the time. The, 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 it's super. It's super applicable to what we have going on yeah. these days. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, I, I, will, I will be getting into this as we uh, uh, go through today's chapter. But when, when you think about uh, the issue of marriage and, and and sexuality in our culture, you know, even though this was written almost two thousand years ago, it could not be more relevant <laughs> to our lives today. It's it's going to be very applicable. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's just, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, earlier I, I mentioned uh, food offered to idols. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Uh, I, I think that that's certainly what you uh, can say about that last one. It's super applicable as well. But like with this one here, you know, you, you look at some of this um, on marriage, some of these kinds of statements that he makes, you know, and like a woman has no authority over her own body. And you're like, oh, that's certainly that's like old fashioned stuff. But just like you, you were saying, it's it's no, it's really super applicable um, even right now. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of good stuff here in both of these chapters, seven and eight. Um, well, probably I'm, I'm imagining that because there's just so much in chapter seven, we're probably gonna be talking about a little bit next time too. um, in chapter eight, uh, the two end up tying together with this whole issue of, of freedom, I think, right. Christian freedom, whether that's, um, in the context of, uh, commitments to, to what you eat or commitments to a spouse. Uh, yeah, I mean, the two chapters have a lot going on together. But without any further ado, brother, would you open us up with a prayer? Yes. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we prepare to go through uh, this section of Holy Scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, we realize that, that things haven't changed uh, uh, in almost 2,000 years. Uh, Father, your, your gift of, of sex... Um, is is often twisted and distorted by our rebellious uh sinful nature and and we need your word to show us what your good intentions for this wonderful gift are meant to be uh not only that we might be in line with your will but also that we might receive the blessing 
that you, you wish us to have. So, Lord, uh, be with both of us as we go through this text. Give us the wisdom to, to properly interpret it and, and that we might understand uh, the sin we are to repent of and also the good that we are to embrace. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, yeah, there, 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 is, there is a lot going on in this chapter. Um, I, I mean, there, there are a lot of interesting phrases that we'll want to talk about, like in the ESV, um, one, one of them is conjugal rights. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of things that we're going to want to try to talk about and not have nearly enough time. But anything you want to like kind of call to our attention before we um, give it a read through? Well, just one brief thing. Uh, this, the flow of this from the end of First Corinthians six, which you would have dealt with recently. You know, these are 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 really directly related. And and one of the things we're going to be talking about right out of the gate is uh, the first verse of First uh, Corinthians chapter seven. There's debate about is this, uh, is, is this statement. Uh, from Paul, or is he quoting yeah. uh, the, the Corinthians? You know, it's not good for a man right. to touch a woman. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is that there's even debate about that at the end of First Corinthians uh, chapter six and verse eighteen. You know, many translations have you know every sin, every other sin a man commits is outside his body. But what's interesting is that English word "other" is not in the Greek. Uh, it just says every sin a man commits is outside his body. So, so some have taken that possibly to be a quote of the Gnostics one of their, uh, who know, are saying, hey, you know. the only real sin is, is the sin of the mind, you know, uh, uh, but what right. you do in your body is no consequence. And then, but then Paul's response, I mean, however you interpret that, whether it's a saying of Paul or, or a quotation of the, you know, uh, the, 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 those who deny, you know, the sins of the body, the, 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 Paul's comment is the same. Oh, well, even if you think the, the real sins are sins of the mind, the, 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 the truth is, according to God's word, uh, we, we, we do sin in our bodies when we sin sexually. Uh, in other words, how we use our body sexually is of great concern to the Lord. Uh, 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 he's given us our bodies. Uh, our Lord's own body died on the cross to buy us for the Lord. Uh, we are not our own. And, and so we're going to learn here that even though uh, you know, our sexuality is a wonderful gift from God, uh, he created us uh, for uh, uh, to use this gift within marriage, um, but we're going to find out too that 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 there are definite ways, as, and we, we see that relevant in our culture today. That that this gift can be twisted, uh, you know, so that we we indeed are, are 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 sinning against the Lord and and not using this gift appropriately. Yeah, I, I appreciate that overview, and especially you connecting chapter seven back to chapter six, right? Because uh, I, I mean, like it, it really does follow it that we've been talking about kind of on and off or maybe the whole while we were kind of uh, kind of tossing that idea around uh, for two chapters now, the idea of sexual immorality, right? I, I mean, that, that's the, the note he sort of ends on in chapter six, um, you know, and we, we kind of talked about, okay, so this stuff about lawsuits, is that really about lawsuits or is it about uh, grievances, maybe even actually about the sexual immorality? Um, and then in chapter five, you know, sexual morality. So he's been talking about sex for two chapters already. So uh, yep. by the time we get to chapter seven, um, like it, every, everything is kind of set already. And, and, and so, yeah, I, I think, uh, and we didn't actually have a chance to even mention the, the really good point that you brought up, which is that, you know, we've seen already a couple times, uh, like back in 612, you know, all things are lawful for me. 
Well, that right. seems to be a, a quote um, that he, he actually has. He pulls twice from their letter. But then, you know, how do you how do you identify what's what's a quote from them, which is a thing that he's yeah. disagreeing with, or it's just a statement of him that he's you know writing by the power of the spirit, right? So it's it's sort of like, oh, okay, so it could be either totally wrong or or like right. God approved, right? That's that's a challenge. So, but like you said, yeah, the, um, that bit in eighteen, you know, every other every sin a person commits is outside the body. That's that's uh yeah that's that's a big one and um it certainly it, it certainly then yeah affects how we're going to read things today in, in chapter seven so we'll we'll have to we'll we'll just go ahead and we'll we'll read it through but we're going to have to sort this out you know what is he responding to what is it that the Corinthians are maintaining as their position and how is Paul trying to correct them as their pastor so I mean yeah it's a, it's a big puzzle. Um, just in terms of interpretation, because we don't have the quotation marks and, and the punctuation in the Greek. So, uh, yeah, some, some good things to keep in mind. But without uh, spoiling any, anything else, let's just go ahead and read it here. Here's 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in the English Standard Version from the top. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer— but then come come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else should be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, she should not, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has called, to which the Lord has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. 
For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were, brought, you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain there with God. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the, the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It's no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think I too have the Spirit of God. <laughs> oh man, it, this is—it's just, uh, yeah, uh, it, it's—it's so super like practical and, and applicable. We're, we're just—I mean, here he is, like he's just—you know—we're like, well, why can't the Bible just spell it out for us, right? Like, well, guys, be careful what you wish for. So Paul is like spelling it out, right? in lots of detail. But the problem, right, is because it is so spelled out and nuanced, we're all standing back thinking to ourselves, okay, which parts belong inside parentheses? Which parts belong inside quotation marks? I mean, like, just kind of tracking with this, it's really hard. And so uh, it's like you were saying from the very beginning, verse 1, is that meant to be in quotation marks? And it's like, exactly. you could see it either way, which makes the whole chapter a challenge for interpretation. 
Right. And, you know, uh, we're going to get into the thick of this here in a second. One thing I wanted to say, though, is, you know, we have to, in spite of the challenges of interpreting this, we have to preach on this. I, I remember I did a sermon series on 1 Corinthians, and I spent Oh, about four or five Sundays just on this chapter, oh, yeah. uh, and and you know, and me- older members had told me, "Gosh, we've never in, in all our years we've never heard a pastor talk about this so thoroughly." Uh, and I said, "Yeah, and I think that's a problem. You know, the, the church really has avoided uh, teaching." thoroughly on sexuality from the pulpit, as it should. Uh, but, but we need to do that, especially in our culture today. And obviously here, Paul doesn't shy away from it. You know, right. uh, he spends several chapters on this issue. So. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, like, it, it, it's interesting. Like, uh, you just look at the Bible as a whole. How much of the Bible is about sex? A lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it. Um, you know, from like the very beginning, right? I mean, you've, you've got, you know, sex in Genesis 1 and 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 2 and 3 and, and so forth. So, I mean, just uh, to, to realize, like you were saying at the beginning, you know, sex is um, just one of the most precious gifts from God, and, and taking that holistically. We're talking about, you know, um, you know, sexuality, being, being man, being woman, family, uh, love, yeah. you know, the entire thing, you know, taking a holistic view. And, and that holistic view, I mean, it's a huge portion of of scripture is is like that um god puts himself in in sexual terms uh, that in the old testament you have this this metaphor that's used all the time about the faithfulness i mean that, that's the word right i said faithfulness yeah. right of god to i mean his bride his his wife is the language of the prophet so i mean I mean, it, it's yeah. really, it's really big, and um, it, it, it's not, I guess, in the way that people kind of stereotypically think of it as like, oh, well, the Bible hates sex. It's like, well, I mean, on the contrary, it's like the Bible really, really likes it. I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> so much that we can like put put God in those terms. But yeah, I mean, it's like we're just like you're saying, we're just we're just scared to go there, even though the Bible seems to want to go there all the time. Oh, exactly. In fact, not only does God speak of being faithful to his bride, but when his people are unfaithful to him, he'll talk about, you know, you're whoring after other gods, you know, you adulterous people. Yeah, so it's very applicable. Yeah, certainly. So we we, we can't go and just, I mean, you know, it would be like uh, like leaving out the Old Testament or something like that. Um, Right. uh, I mean, mean, you're you're leaving out like a huge portion of the Bible. I mean, probably at least 30 percent of it, frankly. So, so yeah, so we, we, we got to get into it. And so let, let's just go ahead then and take it from the top. So, okay. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And they've gone, they've put that in quotation marks in the ESV. Um, I wonder if there are any other, I'm wondering to myself, like what the NIV does. Um, yeah, the NIV does the same thing, which is not usually the NIV and the the ESV are going to be pretty similar on stuff like that. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if there were some other translations that didn't take it that way. Right. And I'm guessing that maybe this is something that you, you saw as well, because um, what, what's kind of funny about it <laughs> is that, like we were saying, it, it seems like usually when Paul quotes them, he doesn't, uh, he, do, he doesn't give any warning. <laughs> he just, he just throws it in there um, in, right. in most places. So, to, to like set it up as if there's like a colon and then a quotation mark would actually be unusual and <laughs> and, and kind of given the content uh, and what he actually ends up landing on 
you could put together a good argument that this is actually what he is saying and not them. But uh, so I don't know how how did you uh, kind of. Debate it well, yeah, you know, without getting into all, because you know, there's tons of scholarly debate on oh, this. Sure. But I would lean in the direction that this is a quotation. You know, earlier we have some pretty obvious examples of that. You know, food for the stomach, stomach for food. You know, uh, yeah. everything's permissible. But one thing that seems to be, uh, uh, and we even get this with the earlier thing about, you know, all sins a man commits, all to, it's not his body. After he gives these supposed quotations, you know, in the Greek we have this de, you know, bot. Here's my response mm-hmm. to this. So yeah. that's what kind of leads me in the direction of, of, of thinking, okay, uh, this is the slogan that uh, some false teachers are, are using, but now here's my response to it. And, yeah. and, I, and taking it that way in this context, I, there's two reasons I would go there. Not only do I believe the Greek, well, they could argue this, but it, it leans in the direction that it's a quotation. But also, uh, you know, Paul, I think uh, he's made it pretty clear that, that he is not against marriage and sex. So for, yeah. for him to be saying, oh, it's good for a man not to touch a woman, I, I don't think Paul would necessarily go there. So I think he's, you know, uh, he's now, you know, he had earlier in chapter six, five and six, he's dealing with sort of a, a libertinism, you know, hey, yeah. you know, uh, just just do it. If it feels good, do it. But now I think he's, he's dealing with a quotation that's dealing with more of an ascetic view, you know, like, oh, uh, we're going to fall into the other ditch now and, and say it's good to not have sex at all. And uh, his response is, ah, okay, but the, because of the temptation uh, to sexual immorality in Corinth, you know, uh, uh, you, you should not think you're holier than you are. Uh, you, you should use God's gift of marriage so that you don't fall into the sins we discussed in the previous chapter. And, and then, of course, he goes on to, you know, talk about um, – uh, you know, and I think it's important to understand here, Paul is not saying that the only reason we get married is so we can have sex. There, there's obviously a right. lot more to marriage than that. But what he, what he is simply saying is, if it's a, because you're surrounded by so much sexual temptation, you know, rather than, uh, you know, giving into your sinful impulses and using it in a way that's ungodly, you know, uh, you know don't pretend that you're beyond that. <laughs> you know, you're a right. sinner. So uh, uh, if you're one of these majority of people who, who don't have the gift of celibacy, you know, take advantage of God's gift of marriage. You know, and I think how applicable that is to our culture today, you know, there were times in our history where, you know, young people would get married in their teenage years. You know, Uh, it's only really until the last hundred years or so that uh, people have been waiting till they're older. And now, especially in our culture where we have, you know, said, well, I'm going to wait till I'm 30. I want to go to college and get a job and and, and get some money in the bank. And yet all at at these young years in our lives when our hormones are going crazy, you know, know, that is not very wise. I think Paul's advice is very good for our modern culture today. Oh, oh, yeah, no, certainly. And and this is where, I mean, the conversation could get. I mean, just enormous in scope, right? Because you're talking about something that's like fundamental and systematic to the culture at large. And you're talking about, like you were saying, enormous cultural shifts that have in many ways changed fundamental aspects of human civilization, as you were saying, only within like the last century, um, you know, against the backdrop of thousands of years, right, of, yes. of, of human of human practice, right, where across cultures, right? So, I mean... Whoa, we're talking about just enormous things, um, and, and you could go into all kinds of directions. We're going to try to keep it tethered, I think, a little bit, uh, and, and maybe the best way is to try to focus on, okay, what's going on in Corinth? And as you said, there seem to be different factions going yeah. in different 
direction. So we'll get more onto that thought when we get back. Uh, take a break, everybody. We're looking at First Corinthians chapter seven on Nice Strong Word. Be right back. <laughs> go on doubting, but believe. In Jesus Christ, your life has meaning, a meaning that can satisfy you and a meaning that is true and valid before God. Believing in Jesus Christ, you truly see things the way they are. It's Archives August as we present a classic message from Dr. Dale Meyer this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. Hello, this is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. Thousands of years ago, a story began. I am who I am. A story that will never end, because this is the story of God's love for us. He has risen. He is alive. Welcome to the Lamplighter Classic Audio Series. You are there. Now, you can enjoy this Lamplighter Classic, You Are There, together as a family. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody. Thy strong word. Looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you've got a question for us, we already got a few via email. Join the conversation if you're listening live, 1-800-730-2727. Or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org, as we're going to take a look in just a second uh, to these email questions we already got. And you can also get on the live stream, facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. We are joined by our guest, Pastor Thomas Eckstein, pastor at Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. And we, we were just talking about how you can actually read verse, verse 1 as it's uh, presented in modern translations as a quote uh, from a different faction here, right? Because clearly, the last couple chapters, uh, Paul has been taking aim at one faction that says, "You know what? It does. It doesn't matter. It's just you know, it's food. It's it's sex. It's just a bodily function. It's just like sneezing. Um, have have I heard that before somewhere? It's just a bodily function, right? So I mean, there's there's one group that just wants to say, oh, whatever. It's just it's just it's nothing. Um, it's just a thing that we do, and." Apparently, though, there's another group, and we've seen already, right, that in First Corinthians, mm -hmm. there's division. There's people yep. who are saying different things. There's people who are not on the same page. So it's not hard to believe, then, that there's another one, 
right? And of course, this happens, right? When you think the other faction's the devil, uh, <laughs> you're just going to make your own position the opposite of theirs. And so it seems like there's another that's saying, like, no, it'd be better if we were all ascetics, right? Like asceticism. And, and so what, yeah. could you, like, unpack that a little bit, what this position uh, or, or what really this kind of, like, school of thought is and what might have been going on in Corinth with that? Right. Well, basically, and what are they, whether they were influenced by an early form of Gnosticism or not, the thing with Gnosticism where, where the, 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 you know, it's, it's the emphasis is that the material is bad and, and the, it, everything that happens in the mind, that's what's good. And, and so salvation is about having the, 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 the proper thoughts that, that lead, lead beyond this world. But, you know, it was interesting with Gnosticism, it can lead to either Libertinism, you know, it, since the body uh, doesn't matter, I can do whatever I want. Or it can lead to asceticism, like because the body doesn't matter, I, I shouldn't have anything to do with my physical desires. And it seems where this group, the ascetics, are going that direction, it's that, okay, Okay, um, uh, uh, all this material uh, stuff, physical stuff in the world, it, it, it's enslaving us, it's binding us. So anything having to do with the body, uh, we need to try to resist it and, 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 and oppose it. And there were some who actually uh, believed that, that uh, the, the way to live a godly life was to avoid sex altogether and to not even yeah. marry. And uh, we, we, we even seen this uh, among some of the Jewish Essenes. There were some of them who were teaching that, hey, we shouldn't even marry and have sexual relations. And uh, so the, the Paul may be responding uh, to the group that is, is going that direction. And, and after he says, you know, make sure that, that you don't deprive each other, husbands and wives, you know, you know uh, uh, don't deprive each other, have sexual relations, and, and based on a mutual decision. And if you're going to refrain, l let it not be for sinful reasons, uh, because you're, you're trying to hurt each other or, or you know, right. get back at each other. You know, right. instead, let it be to, to do spiritual things, uh, mm -hmm. in this case, prayer. But then he goes on and says, no, I say this is a concession. And again, that's been interpreted in various yeah. ways. But what I think the best way is, is his concession is, hey, I, I'm all for you taking time out from sex to do good things, but uh, I'm not commanding it. Uh, you know, it, it would be great if you were celibate like me, but you're not. So uh, make sure that in marriage you are taking advantage uh, of this gift uh, so that you're, neither of you is deprived and tempted to misuse this gift of sexuality that God has given you. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's, that that's the difficult middle path that Paul seems to be charting here, right? And, and, and don't uh, yeah, don't anybody misunderstand. I, I don't. I don't mean to say because this happens all the time, right? That we just kind of say like, well, let's just kind of take both sides of the issue and we'll just kind of cut it in half, and that's like the right thing. Like, I eh, know. I mean, because just like, uh, well, brother, just like you were saying earlier, right? Like, just opinions on sexuality from like the last hundred years now. Oh. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's sort of like, well, what do you want? Do you want like a uh, so far uh, left that's fallen off the spectrum, or just? really really far left uh, so, yeah. so that it's getting there well let's just take halfway between right like we're still way off center so um you know so just saying like oh let's just take the in between position doesn't necessarily prove anything or get you any closer to the truth um right but he he's charting this middle course because uh, in this case they have gone on to different ends of the spectrum here and, right. and so, like, like you were saying, he wants to argue against the one that says the body doesn't matter, and, and therefore, you, like you said, it's a good term for it, uh, libertinism, 
right? It's, it's better than saying libertarianism, which is a right. very, you know, philosophical, political thing. Like, so libertinism, like, I'm just going to, I can do whatever I want, like, just however I want it, that kind of thing. R- really, um, in many ways, uh, part and parcel of individualism and consumerism and, and kind of like that whole way of life that has uh, come about in the prosperity of the West. Um, and then, uh, as you were saying, on the other end, the, the asceticism of, um, you know, whether it's related to Gnosticism or any other thing. But, you know, you, you, th- you think of like, you know, monks like living uh, like in a, uh, a cloister or a, a monastery or something like that, right? Uh, where it's just right. them all by themselves and very strict, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to have tasty food. We're not going to be around women. We're not, you know, that, that kind of just very austere way of living. Um, I mean, maybe even something that happens um, to a different extent elsewhere. But yeah, he's saying, no, really, for most people, like you were saying, if this is how God's called you, then this is how you want to go. And it's interesting how really Paul kind of always just gets back to that. It's just, how were you called? What gifts has God given you? Uh, it, right. It's not about like pursuing this kind of a priori. This is the hypothetical best, or uh, you know, su- supreme, or, or or most ideal, or perfect way to live. It's like, well, hang on. Like, what did God give you? Well, do that then. <laughs> and, and it's kind of right. always just going back to God. Well, absolutely, and that's why you know, uh, just a couple more pastoral comments on this. You know, he, he, he like you said, he doesn't just take some arbitrary middle ground. He he goes back to Genesis, really, and he goes yeah. back to God's gift of marriage. And 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 I think Paul's point here, you know, he talks much more about marriage in other places, especially Ephesians five. But here he's making it clear that uh, sex and marriage are meant to go together. They're not, you know, two different things. <laughs> that the, the, right. you know, the uh, one obviously one purpose of sex is is procreation. But here I think you know Paul is making the di- distinction between lust and love. You know, sex ultimately, in a biblical point of view, is meant to be an expression of the promise of marriage. It's meant to be a a a, 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 a almost a, a ceremony of of, of reminding your spouse, I've committed myself to you for life. I pr- made a promise of love to you, and and to remove sex from that context, you know, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 4, to, to just have sex without a promise of love in marriage is to reduce somebody to an object, you know, of your lust. And so I think here Paul is, is making it very clear, you know, with, with all this distorted sex going on in our culture, um, uh, if this is an issue for you, and for many people it is, um, then then use God's good gift of marriage where, where sex can be a good thing. And then one last comment, I, I want to point out that even though Paul doesn't necessarily go there in this text, you know, even in a marriage, we have to be careful that sex isn't distorted. You know, we, there's extremes in marriage, too. I think Paul alludes to this. You, you shouldn't withhold sex from your spouse just because you're mad at him or her. It's like, okay, I'm going to get right. back at you, no sex for you. But then there's the flip side, too, you know, uh, and maybe men are more guilty of this than women, and that is, oh, uh, I, I, I desire sex, so whether you're in the mood or whether you're hurt because of what I've done for you, done done to you or said to you, that doesn't matter. You know, you owe me sex, and I'm going to get it from you no matter what. You know, uh, that unloving approach to sex where it's all about me and not about you, Paul would be against that too. You know, here he's making it clear that it should be a mutual thing that builds each other up and, and uh, rather than a sinful thing that tears each other down. Yeah, no, that, that, that's right. And having the right view of, of sex, even within marriage, right? Like that's, 
uh, now that's a tricky thing, right? I mean, because <gasps> I, I think that the like you were kind of getting at there, there is a there's a sort of what I think from our perspective comes off as like kind of traditional or conservative almost in a way, a view that says, well, if it's in the context of marriage, it's all good. So just kind of okay. like whatever, yeah, you're married. What you know, and, and so like once once you say that, it's just kind of like, and this is I think a. Well, this, this just goes hand in hand with the way that we have like this very flawed individualistic view of, of I mean, really even of scripture where, where we're kind of looking at it as like, well, just, just let me look at the Bible and I'll kind of evaluate and see what does God say is out of bounds. And then I'll right. get to do whatever I want within those bounds. Right? right. And that's just, as we've said again and again, that's just the wrong way to look at it. I mean, look, look at the way Paul's getting at it. He's like, don't don't make it about you know like just okay t god give me the rules so that i can get on with doing whatever i want to do no it's trying to please god now i mean this this is this is what i wanted to ask you about because this i i think is re really interesting um you know because because he's he's getting into this and he, and he gets into these distinctions right like where he's like you know i say this well not not i the lord um, oh, and yes. then he backs off on the other way and says, "Well, not the Lord, just but but I," and, and, he, right. and he's getting into all this like this really kind of nuanced stuff where he he seems to be trying to talk about, "Well, I'm just trying to like make life easier for you, or I would spare you these difficulties, or I'm I'm just trying to help you please God." This is right. I, I feel like just like a very different way of framing the conversation than this kind of like. Just give me the rules, and then I'll right. get on with my life, kind of within those boundaries. Oh, absolutely. He, he's really just trying to say that, especially when it comes to our sexuality, and and and, and with it understood in the context of marriage, uh, it, it, it's you know he deals with this in Ephesians five, where, where, where marriage is a reflection of the ultimate relationship that has been between Christ and the church. So yeah. it's really meant to be about love. You know, so in, uh, rather than him just giving a bunch of rules about, you know, sex or no sex, it, it's really about what's the purpose of sex and marriage and, and yeah. uh, how does that play out in, in our world today. And, um, uh, you know, for the, for the sake of moving on here, you know, when Paul mentions these two things, you know, not I but the Lord or I but the Lord, it's important that we don't misunderstand this as though Paul is saying, hey, when I quote Jesus, you can take that seriously, but when, when, when I'm teaching you uh, yeah. uh, on another issue that the Lord hasn't spoken to, you can take it or leave it. That's not what Paul is saying. Right. Uh, I think in this context, he's saying, hey, when it comes to uh, divorce, we, we have a direct teaching from Jesus recorded for us, and, and we see that in the Gospels. But then when Paul goes on to deal with uh, 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 this other situation, a believer that uh, for whatever reason this happened, a believer is married to an unbeliever. And when he says, I'm not the Lord, he's not saying, okay, what I'm about to say, you can take it or leave it. That's not what Paul means. What he means is, we don't have a recorded teaching from Jesus on this, okay? But but now, as, as one who has the Lord's authority, I'm going to tell you, you know, what what what, what God's loving will is for you in, in this area. Oh and, yeah, um, no, that, that's that's well said. I mean, we just saw like uh, in the in the last chapter, or it was it was it six or five, but you know, he's talking about like you know, here I am among you in spirit, in and so gathering the Lord's name and like expel this sinful man. I think that was five. I mean, like clearly. His apostolic authority is not just, as you were saying, like, take it or leave it, like, buddy advice right. here, right? I mean, no. I mean, if, if Paul says something, it's like, 
no that that's authoritative that's like you go with it um but 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 right like 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 you were saying like he is i think distinguishing it and and i, and I think even a little bit further perhaps uh, i might say that what, what he's what he's trying to get at is that the the advice that he's giving the authority i mean really the authoritative guidance Right. I mean, there's a word that we've seen in the last several months, right? Guidance from different agencies. And it's sort of like, this is our guidance, right? And it's like, it's authoritative guidance. But yeah, so his authoritative guidance, right? Um, it, it seems like to me, like, like he's trying to say, this is kind of for right now, this present situation. Now, isn't that interesting? In verse 26, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Kind of like mo- mo- moving, moving this on. It seems like what he's talking about is, Hey, th- there's this stuff from the Lord that's just kind of this is how it is, right? Like when our Lord taught, what did He do? He went back to Genesis and was like, "This is how it fundamentally is. That's timeless." But but then, you know, He's getting into this thing where He's like, "Well, con- concerning the betrothed, see, guys, there's this in verse 26, this present distress that's yeah. going on, and under the present circumstances, this is what you need to do." So it's not timeless. Um, it's it's authoritative, but it's for this specific situation. So this is really interesting. What's going on that would kind yeah. of require this kind of? And it goes on later, right? You know, like those who are married live as though they weren't, right? Even like, and he goes on with all these very hyperbolic statements. But it's like, what's going on that requires this special consideration? Well, you know, but just like everything else, there's debates about what Paul means by present distress. Yeah. You know, just, just a, some some think it means that uh, he believes Jesus is going to return, right? You know, in that generation, I, I don't think that's the thing. Uh, others believe that he's just referring to life in this fallen world. You know, life in this world is a distress, you know, great tribulation, possibly. Um, but uh, others have, have have thought that you know, the, the, there's there's some extant literature that suggests there could have been a famine going on at that yeah. time in, in the Corinthian yeah. area. One area I lean towards, uh, and, and it could be a combination of things, honestly, but one thing I lean towards, the present distress is, and we get this from Jesus, that being a Christian in this world, especially at that time, means persecution. You know, yeah. um, l- living for God in a, in a, in a place like Corinth, uh, you're going to get pushback from the culture. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And and uh, so I think that the present distress is, you know, be prepared the, for the fact that living for God means life is not going to be easy. It's going to be uh, challenging and difficult. And I think right now, you know, of, of what it must be like to be a married uh, person in these North Korea, China, yeah. uh, where, where you're Christian, but you're being persecuted. And not only are you thinking about your own skin, but you're thinking about your wife and children. You know, yeah. and and how difficult that must be. So I think at least that's a, a part of what Paul is getting at with this present distress. It's like, okay, you know, how, how do we handle these questions of sexuality and marriage? Uh, do I get married? Don't I? In 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 this present distress. Yeah. Well, no, and I thank you for that. And it's, uh, yeah, I think that's very fair. That you know, yeah, there there are a lot of things that people throw out there, and there's a lot of debate. From 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 myself, I, I think. And I, I don't think this is a stretch at all, but you just look at the language as we've seen in Revelation, that just all this emphasis, as our Lord himself had, on the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem in the year A.D. 70, right? So yes. Paul is writing before that. People—this is, uh, is something that people very commonly miss, but even though these letters of Paul come after the, the Gospels in our, in our sequence— these are the 
earliest documents of the New Testament, um, yeah. just in terms of when they were put down on paper, papyrus. Uh, so, 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 yeah. Even even though the Gospels talk about stuff that happened beforehand, uh, they they weren't actually written down in that form until the basically the apostles got too old to keep preaching it orally, <laughs> uh, and then right. and then they wrote it down, right? But but so that that just means here that if Paul's writing, you know, like say in the let's just say like the fifties, right? Then. Well, this is this is a really challenging thing, right? Because think about this: like he's talking about people who are thinking about getting married and having kids and starting a family, and the whole thing is going to blow up in ten to twenty years. Right. Right. I mean, right. just I, I mean, you, you know, I mean, to think about what the Lord said. You know, he he's like, you know, uh, I, I feel I feel terrible for the, the nursing mothers, right? Like, yeah. and, and and those the nursing mothers are going to be oh that we had no children. Right, I, I mean, and, and and that they will say, you know, blessed are the ones who who never had any. I mean, that, that's actually right. what he says in view of the destruction of the temple. That it it would be better if you didn't have kids because on that day it's gonna be so terrible when oh, yeah. families are and that, separated you know, and pe- brothers and sisters are dying left and right. I, I mean, so I I think the Bible itself actually gives a pretty clear description of why it might not be good to start a family right then. Right. I'm sorry, you were, you, were, you were about to say something in there. I, I, would, I kept going, but go ahead. Uh, do, I can't hear you. Did we lose you? Ah, may, may, may have lost the connection there. Uh, but, but yeah, so you know, hopefully we, we can get uh, Pastor Eckstein back soon. But yeah, so I mean, it, it's, it's really something that, yeah, there, there, were, there were things like uh, famines and uh, wars and conspiracies, and we, we saw that, right? How in Revelation, there's a whole litany of things that led up to that big, uh, just catastrophic event in the year AD 70. Uh, but so it kind of in view of all of it, it really makes sense that Paul's giving this kind of very, like I was saying, conditional, timely, authoritative, as Pastor Eckstein was saying, it, um, guidance that, yeah, no, this isn't just kind of like take it or leave it. I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, but but I am saying, you know, guys, because of these very unique circumstances right now, you might want to put that off. You might not want to do that right now. Uh, I, I think I've got a note here that we got Pastor Eckstein back. Uh, okay. Hey, we got you. We got, we got you. We got you back. What, what, you were about to say something. Well, I was just saying, you know, it, it was hard enough being a Christian at that time. And then, yeah. like you said, with, with the, the destruction of the temple coming up, I think Paul is just saying, hey, marriage is fine. If you want to get married, you're not sinning. But I want you to know that being married uh, when when the church is going to be going through this horrible time, hey, it's not going to be easy, and I'd like to spare you from that. <laughs> right. Well, he does say that, right, in verse in verse 28. Yeah. I would spare you that, right? Those who marry will have worldly troubles. I mean, I, I, I don't think he's just simply saying, like, yeah, you're going to have more bills, and you're going to have to, like, figure out right. child care. Yeah, no, no, that's—we all get that. But, like— but but I think I think he's like I would spare you having to change diapers at three in the morning. I don't think he's getting he's you know right, that's no, that's, right. that's that's not that's nothing you know that's that's nothing that's far outweighed by the joys of a family and parenthood right. But I think he's yeah getting at this really specific stuff and he, when he says that and again in verse twenty nine the appointed time has grown very short. So uh, yeah I, I think I think there is that difference of kind of talking about what's what's fundamental. And then talking about the specifics, which I think this is actually pretty instructive then for us, that we, we find ourselves in a weird situation where, like you were saying, the expectation now is to delay marriage till right. you're 30, 
course, the human body doesn't know that. <laughs> like right, we have, exactly. we have re, re, reorganized everything, right? So we have a very weird situation where it's like, if you're going to do this career or get this job, it's like you got to go away to this school and then away to that school. And that's going to make being married really challenging. So, I mean, I think this actually then kind of uh, encourages us to take this holistic approach and say, okay, what are the fundamentals of marriage? And then right. how might we need to tweak things given our present circumstances? Right, right. And, you know, and Paul's advice would be, you know, um, I guess I have a couple pastoral comments on this. First of all, yep. if you are going to wait for marriage uh, because of these modern different ways of doing things, and then the, the obvious teaching would be, okay, that's fine, but then pre- pre- be prepared to be celibate. You know, don't yeah. don't deal with your urges by, oh, well, I'm going to engage in prostitution or just, you know, have one-night stands. No, uh, that's not an option, Paul would say. <laughs> you know, that's where self-control would come in. Um, but then I would also like to add, even though Paul doesn't specifically mention this, even though Paul is lauding the benefits of being single because, hey, I would have more time to serve God and serve others uh, with, you know, um, I, I think in our modern world, a lot of people choose the single life for very selfish, ungodly reasons. You know, if yeah. um, uh, being single is all about, oh, I get to serve me, I get to use all my money for me, I, I get to uh, do what I want, I'm not so sure that's a godly Christian reason to be single. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, for Paul, being single is always, hey, the reason I'm not going to get married is so I can give more of my time to helping others and serving others in the Lord. It's not about, oh, I'm going to party. You know. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. No, that's right. Well, t- I mean, t- to your point, right? What What does he say again? I mean, it it all kind of goes back to this. What he said earlier in verse seven: each has his own gift from God. I, I mean, it- it's basically like, well, if you have the gift of celibacy, you ought to go with that, right? Like, or right. I mean, I mean it- it's interesting. I'm not. I'm not sure. It's like only if you necessarily have that. But I, I mean, like he does talk about self control, and so it's like. I mean, I mean, so I mean, what what he is saying, like, regardless of whether you know one considers himself uh, celibate or you know the vernacular today is like asexual, right? Um, like, regardless of whether you have that, if you think you can actually um, just abstain, right, from like the whole like sexual arena entirely, then okay, then maybe that ought to be something uh, that you consider with these weird circumstances being what they are. But Paul's pretty right. clear, like. If, if that's not you, which, let's face it, especially in this culture, um, yeah. C.S. Lewis said uh, that our, our present culture inflames human sexuality because companies make more money off of us if we're like Oh, that. yes. Yeah. So I and think there's something. Almost, yeah. Yeah. Since we're almost done, one last thing I wanted to say, because I think it's so applicable today. It, it's interesting. Uh, even though he's saying, you know, you might want, not want to get married in light of the present distress, it's interesting that he says, but if you're already married, I don't care how bad it is, I don't get divorced. And I think in our culture, ever since no-fault divorce, where it's like, oh, you know, we have the uh, irreconcilable differences, we're going to blow this off. Paul Paul here is saying, hey, if you're already married, I don't care how bad it is, you don't divorce each other. You know, this this is a promise. And and I think we need to really hear that. And I realize there's a lot of hurting people in our churches. They've been through a divorce. And some people have been through a divorce even though they didn't want it. I realize that. Um, but at the same time, our culture, uh, our church, I think, has gotten way too comfortable 
with our cultural view of divorce. And we need to go back and realize, no, marriage is, is, is a gift from God, and, and we are to take that promise of love seriously. We shouldn't just willy and nilly cast it aside. Uh, is there forgiveness for divorce? Absolutely. But that shouldn't then lead us to the idea, well, then it doesn't really matter if I just, you know, uh, break this vow and move on. It doesn't matter because I can be forgiven. Paul would say, no, don't take that attitude. Uh, absolutely. That's, uh, I appreciate the pastoral uh, heart of your comments there for us all. Well, one last thing, then. We only have a minute here. So, okay, he talks about, by way of encouragement, I think, like say, hey, look, guys, uh, not only that, not only does the Lord just say, don't get divorced, um, but you know, it maybe even if you're um, married to an un uh, someone who's not a Christian, maybe right. you will end up saving your spouse, right? And and he, he says this right. stuff about and after all, right? Uh, because uh, you are uh, in the faith, your children are holy. Yes. Br- briefly, like what? What's maybe like the, the the best summary you can give of what 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 on earth is he getting at? Well, I, honestly, I think there Paul is saying in, uh, in, the, in the best construction, the ideal situation, not only is the believer, now this doesn't mean, oh, I wouldn't go ahead and marry an unbeliever. That's a separate issue. Paul right. makes it clear Christians should marry Christians. But he's saying, you know, in this context where, where the gospel came to Corinth, and you might have two people who are unbelievers, and then one of them comes to faith. Okay, well, now you have a believer married to an unbeliever. Um, Paul is saying you can have good influence on your spouse. In fact, you might even be able to convince your spouse to baptize your children. I really think that's what Paul's alluding to there. Your children are holy because your spouse is allowing you to raise them in the Christian faith and baptize them. Okay, and and, and that's the, the that's why Paul says, you know, if your un, if spouse is an unbeliever, you know, don't just divorce them you, or him or her. You might be able to to uh, bring them to Christ. That's right. Don't don't ever underestimate God's ability to insert grace into every kind of situation, even the, the present distress. Thank you so much, brother. I'm glad we we're able to get you back. Looking forward to having our next conversation together. All right. God be with you. Yep. Thank you, brother. Everybody has Pastor Thomas Eckstein at Concordia in Jamestown, North Dakota, going on to Chapter 8. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about 7, I think, again. There's so much going on. But until then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. Of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.